0: So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 400 for the third of TV's in a regular year. So I just happened to finish reading a book that is really interesting, quite deep in my opinion, actually very entertaining. Uh, the book is called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And I read this book because I, it's, I'm part of Ben Shapiro's book club. I like to follow along his book club. And this is this is the last book that he recommended to read as part of the book club. Now, those of you that are familiar with C.S. Lewis might be taking a, a moment of pause kind of and going like, huh? Like C.S. Lewis, he is, he's most famous for writing series known as the Chronicles of Narnia, the most famous of which is The Lion, the Witch, and the Ro- Wardrobe. And well, this is a very famous children's series of books, uh, book series, book uh, series, and many children read it and they just really enjoy the storyline, what many people don't realize, and I came to realize as I got older, as many people do, is the book is actually filled with a lot of Christian undertones. And in fact, C.S. Lewis actually wrote many other books that actually are much more overtly Christian. And this book, The Screwtape Letters, is one of those, um, in fact. So with that being said, what am I bringing this book up on the podcast today. What does it have to do with the Tanya and Judaism? Why am I talking about a Christian book? So you'll see. So basically, so this book, The Screwtape Letters, um, what it basically is, it's a it's a satirical little book. And what it involves, it's a, it's a bunch of letters that an older demon named Screwtape is writing to his nephew, um, Wormwood. And this Wormwood has been entrusted with the task of trying to get a certain human to come over to the dark side, to tempt a human into all the ways of uh, of Satan and of hell and things like that and the demonic forces. And this screw tape is kind of guiding Wormwood along the way. And it's it's very deep because the what ends up happening is the advice he gives him is actually very nuanced. And um, it's not as simple as just like try to get him to steal, steal or kill or anything like that. It actually gets like a lot deeper into like human nature and the intricacies of human nature, which uh, Lahavdil we have been seeing a lot that have been come up, coming up in Tanya. But one thing that I wanted to mention with all of this is that there's a very, very deep and profound difference between the Jewish take on all of these forces on satan on hell on demonic forces on evil in general and the take that christianity and many other religions have so not that i'm an expert but my understanding of christianity is that uh when they think about satan when they think about the devil and these kind of things they talk about it in this way that it's like this power that's kind of like equal in force to god and there's you know god is the good force and then The devil or satan is the bad force you have to be really careful you know because you don't want to get trapped up in the bad force and there's like this really strong war going on and that there's this idea of satan being a fallen angel and you know all of that and that he's rebelling against god so the judaism's take on all this is actually very different In Judaism, we don't believe that there is this satanic force that opposes God or God forbid has the same power or anything equal in power to God at all. In Judaism, we're extremely clear that God is the only power. The sole power, the most powerful power, there is no other power other than God. So on the other hand, yes, we know that there is evil in the world. There are things. There is the word Satan. It comes from the Hebrew word Satan. So there is such a thing as that. There is this idea of Satan, you know, there is this idea of evil. We know that there's this idea of even hell, Gehenna, you know, uh, we know that th- we look around the world around us. There's clearly evil in the world. There's clearly dark forces. So what's going on? If God is all good, where do these evil forces come from and what does it all mean? So that's what we're going to be getting into in today's Tanya is exactly this question of the source of negativity the source of the forces that oppose god and how this can be because it seems like it's a paradox if on the one hand we're saying that god is the only force god is the sole controller of everything then how can there at the same time be these forces that exist that uh that are so against god one simple, just little thing that doesn't talk about in the Tanya, but I thought I'd mention it is that this Satan in Hebrew, the Satan, you know, as we say in Hebrew, uh, that is, he's an angel, you know, and there are these angels that God uh, created. Um, and so they're creations just like everything else. But unlike in Christianity, we don't believe that the Satan is a fallen angel, but we actually believe that the Satan is a very intentional angel, that the Satan has a very intentional purpose to it, as do all of the forces of evil in the world. And they're all specifically directed by God and they are, all are within, the, within God's power. So how does all of this work? Like, what is going on here? So this is, again, this is what we're going to be getting into in the Tanya today. And for context, we're going to be concluding chapter six of Luka Deha And yesterday we learned the first part of chapter six, and we spoke about this idea of the other side. We spoke about this idea that there is this thing called other. There is this existence of evil, that it's like there's the side of holiness and then there's the side of other. And the way that we defined this side of other is not necessarily in like these really, you know, strong demonic, um, overtly or uh, apparently so demonic uh, descriptors. Like it's not necessarily just like the murderers and the rapists and stuff like that, but All everything that is not purely and um, totally directed consciously towards serving God is by definition coming from that place of other side. Anything basically that feels itself to be uh, to have an essential being of itself other than God that doesn't recognize its creation creator that doesn't recognize its total and utter uh, selflessness in the face of God is from that other side, is from the side of evil. So today we're going to continue along this lens and we're going to talk about, so, okay, so we've spoken about the fact that this evil exists, this negativity exists, but how, how is it that it's possible? How is it that there can be things in the world, there can be um, creatures in the world, um, people in the world, behaviors in the world that totally 100% oppose God and, disregard God's existence and really truly think of themselves as being things of their own. So we begin today and the ultra bed tells us that indeed anything that's not totally nullified to God, but in fact feels itself to be a being of its own, its own entity is not actually receiving its vitality from the holiness of God. Okay. So we're going to learn what this means very specifically. So it's, so so you'll notice the ultra Rabbi didn't say it's not receiving its vitality from God. It said it's not receiving its vitality from the holiness of God. So what does that mean? Meaning to say that it's not receiving its vitality from the inner aspects of this holiness of God, but rather it's receiving it in an external way, in a backhanded manner. So what does this mean? This means that the vitality that receives, while it is coming from God, it's coming from God in such a way that it first descends through many, many levels and layers and through many, it's called many evolutions through cause and effect and many constrictions, many until the light that actually gets through after all of these contractions and levels and levels of descent and all of that stuff, and all of these layers of descent is is what allows for God's vitality to come into this world and to bring vitality into all of these things that feel themselves to be a suf- something all of this these somethingness in the world that that don't feel their immediate connection to God and this vitality so this vitality God's vitality basically is vivifying them it's just not vivifying them in this direct inner way. It's, it's vivifying them in this very external backhanded manner, sort of like a very like behind the scenes kind of, um, situation happening. So like one, imagery that comes to mind for me with this is like, let's say if you have a, uh, a child who became estranged from their parents for whatever reason, and let's say the child, let's say it's not the parent's fault. Uh, the parent did everything that they could for this child, but the child for whatever reason just, you know, has some kind of uh, paranoid disorder or something that makes them, you know, imagine all kinds of things about the parent that the parent isn't, doesn't love them and that they were abused and everything, even if it's not true, let's say, you know, and the parent still wants to give to the child. But the parent can't give to this child directly because the child's going to throw away whatever it is that the parent gives to them and they can't even they can't make room for this parent like they're not willing to sit down and have a conversation with the parent. So what such a parent might do is they might figure out ways to send the child support and money through backhanded ways like they might go get you know friends to go check up on this child. They might, uh, pull some strings to get this child a job, you know, or they might um, find out creative ways to send them money. But it's going to be coming in such a way that the, that the child may never know that these things are coming to them from God because they can't. They can't the child is blocking themselves from this more direct communication that they could have with the parent, but they're not letting themselves have this. And so this is the world that we live in. This is our reality. The world that we live in is a world that is blocked. It's a world that's concealed. It's a world of ego. It's a world of grandiosity where people really, you know, people worship money and all kinds of things like that, that actually have no power in their own right. Any money that we have, any sustenance we have comes from God, but we don't necessarily acknowledge it, or many people don't acknowledge it, God forbid. And so that's why our world, the way that our world is referred to in the language of Kabbalah is that it's a world of klipos and sitra achra. It's a world of husks and sitra achra, and the other side, the side of other, which again are both these references to things that don't acknowledge God, that are like the antithesis of God and this is why that we actually see that um you know in the world that we live in everything is very harsh it's a, it's a hard world that we live in right people say it's a dog eat dog world like it's it's just it's a hard world um and we see that in fact evil people um prosper here right like that's a very famous age old question uh why do you good things happen to bad people. People often say, why do bad things happen to good people? But what about the opposite? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do so many bad people rule in our world if God is supposed to be in charge? So this gives us the answer to this. This is because, yes, God's in charge, um, but because there's so much, ego and, uh, and sense of somethingness in the world in which we live in, the only way that we can receive this vitality from God is in this very, very backhanded concealed manner. And uh, the ultra says that this is elaborated upon further, um, in the time in the 42nd gate at the end of chapter four. Now the ultra has a note, a little like footnote here that he includes. He has a bunch of these throughout the Tanya and the purpose of this footnote here is really to drive the point home that while yes, godliness is concealed down here. And we really want to emphasize that point on the one hand, that the way that we're receiving vitality is in a very diminished format. It's not direct and all of that. Nevertheless, we shouldn't like mistakenly think, God forbid, that we're not actually receiving God's vitality uh, on the other hand. Like it, it actually is all coming from God. So we have to remember the source. So meaning to say that, um, this like world that we live in, that's receiving its vitality in this way of the Klippos and the Sidra Acha, as we said, within it, however, within this world, what is the source of this world? The source of this world is the 10 spheros of Asiya, of a Kedusha, of a holiness. And this is written about in uh, also in Eitz Chaim in chapter 40, 43. And um within these ten spheres of a so we know that like if, if you've been following along the episode so far, you know that the ten spheres were sort of like the building blocks for all of our reality and each world, there's four general worlds, and each one of those worlds has its own particular ten spheres. And so we'll see that there's this connection between all of them. So the basis of our reality, even if it's not necessarily overtly so, the basis of our reality is coming from the ten spheres, the holy the ten holy spheres of Asia. And within these 10 holy spheres of Asia, what's found there? The 10 uh, spheres of etira And within the 10, which is the world right above that, above the world of Asia. And then within the 10 spheres of etira is the 10 spheres of Bria, which is the world above that. And within the 10 spheres of Bria are the 10 spheres of Atsilas. And what's found within Atsilas? is the light of the Ein Soferuch, the light of God himself. So meaning this is just like a nice little friendly reminder that um, this light of God himself, the Or Ein Soferuch, as we call it, um, fills up our entire reality even the, our low world that we live in um, through it being vested in the 10 spheres as it goes through all of the worlds Atzillus, Briya, Yetzirah, and Asiyah so yes, then within this world of Asiyah then it gets concealed within the Klippos but its source is still within those high and holy spheres. and the ultra-repest cites uh, the Yitzchim Gate 47 um, Chapter 2 and the Sefer Gilgulim Chapter 20 which talks about this further Okay, and then back to the main body of the text. So now that we got that out of the way and we keep that in mind that while we're talking about all these uh, unholy fo- forces and klipos and all that kind of stuff um, It's it really does God is still very much present here it's just that it's in a concealed way right um, so going back to that concealment so we're going to talk about the klipos now so the klipos are kind of like they, this, these are again the, a good translation for them or how they're often transla- translated I should say is husks or shells which kind of like again like on a, on a fruit or a, a nut that the shell of the nut that conceals the nut that's inside and and what the ultraverb is going to teach us now is that there's two la- levels of these klippos. There's two different types of klippos in a general sense. And he's only going to talk about one of the levels today. And tomorrow we're actually going to explore the second level in much greater detail, and we'll see why. So first, we're going to talk about this first level. What's the the first level that he's going to discuss is the lower level of the clipos. This lower level of the clipos is what's referred to as the shalosh kliyot et meot, the three impure klipos. And these three impure clipos are totally evil. There's no good in them at all. There, it's a total concealment. And um, it's th- these uh, three clipos are alluded to in the vision of Yehoshua. And the first chapter of Yechezkel in verse four, where just des- describes this very big storm wind and a great cloud, and so it's like just like a, a whirlwind. Like there's just you can't see what's going on at all. And so this is this is what the three impure klepos are, and what do these klepos produce? So these klepos produce the souls of all the nations of the world, like all the you know not holy nations of the world, and they vitalize. It vitalizes these. Nation's bodies, and similarly, also these people also produce the um, the the souls of the impure animals animals that are not kosher that we're not allowed to eat, and it they also vitalize the bodies of these animals, and not only for animals and not only like unholy people, but also the vitality and the life force of all kinds of foods that we're not allowed to eat. So, in Judaism, while we, you know, it's common knowledge that there's a lot of laws regarding kosher animals and what we're allowed to eat in terms of kosher animals, which animals were allowed, which animals were not allowed. There's also a lot of laws pertaining to vegetative life and what we're allowed to eat. A lot of these laws only apply in the land of Israel, but nevertheless, like one of them is orla, which has to do with when you can eat the fruits of a tree. Another is kilaim, which is about like interbreeding of different types of vegetative, um, Plant life and stuff like that. So, there, there's a lot of different laws that have to do with the vegetation that, um, you know, we're, we can't just like simply eat all vegetation. There's a lot of laws there too. So, anything that's forbidden in that category is also coming from these places, these three impure cleps. And the Altar Bay again cites the time in chapter 49, chapter 6, which, we're, and where he says this is spoken about further at length as well. And not only this, what else comes from these three impure cleps? This is any forbidden behavior, whether the behavior be an action or whether the behavior be speech, something that you're not allowed to say, like Lashon Hara, for example, um, or a thought, an, a forbidden thought, anything forbidden that goes under the category of 365 prohibitions and all of the branches, um, which we spoke about already in the end of chapter five, all of these things, they all come from the clipos from the three impure Klippos. So that's quite intense. So the Ultra Rapa basically is saying, and that's the end of the, the chapter today, the Ultra Rapa basically is telling us that any time a person, God forbid, engages in an act that is forbidden by halacha, then they're actually, the the vitality that they're receiving at the time is coming from this impure place. It's coming from this place. Yes, again, it everything comes from God, but it's coming from an extremely backhanded manner of God godliness. It's like the equivalent, again, of getting a present from your parents that like, you don't even know that it came from your parents and you'll never know because it's like uh, they don't want you to know that it's coming from them. So it's, it's a much more shameful way to receive that vitality than if you were to receive it in a much more direct way. So that's the end of the section. And um, tomorrow we're going to move on to chapter seven in which we're going to talk about the second category of the Klippos and what that's all about. So stay tuned for that. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sereed Switzer.